Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And today, we're going to be doing the weekly recap, including, to our surprise, a 2022 recruiting segment for football, then covering men's catsketball, women's catsketball, and baseball. And let's open with what is probably the best news of this week, because, uh, spoilers. So not a lot of good news this not, week. Not a fun week. Really bad week, actually. I, that's what I would say. I would describe it that way. Yeah. But in the football recruiting realm, we normally don't cover preferred walk-on offers. But this one is different because he is a 5.73 star on Rivals. Yeah. He's matched for, I think, our highest rated commit. He is, yeah. As a preferred walk-on. And that is linebacker Gavin Myers. And he was someone we were heavily pursuing during this previous season. In fact, you and I talked about him on the first ever episode. Uh, don't go back and listen to it. Don't. That episode sucks. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Um, but we were thinking he was just going to be a genuine scholarship player, and then his recruiting kind of fell off the face of the earth and ended up somewhere in deep space. And now he will be joining the Kansas State Wildcats as a preferred walk-on. Yeah, he has had a topsy-turvy recruitment. Um, he's a linebacker out of Hayes, Kansas. He, he was uh, teammates with Jaron Kanak. 5A uh, Defensive Player of the Year this year. I think he was last year as well. Yeah. And then he also was a state champion in wrestling in 5A. So while that is screaming, you know, excellent uh, football recruit, why is he a preferred walk-on? And honestly, I think at least some of it has to do with his teammate, Jaron Kanak, taking away some of the shine from him. Um, and also, a lot of it has to do with he uh, kind of like developed really early. Like his sophomore film was like really excellent. And then he like didn't really like get a ton better from that point. And a lot of teams wanted to see more upward uh, trajectory from him. And he went from looking like he might commit to Nebraska on scholarship to uh, coming to K-State as a preferred walk-on. It's quite the uh, the shift in a recruitment. It's kind of the mirror image of Jaron Kanak's recruitment, where Jaron, they're both two recruits that bet on themselves uh, in terms of getting offers, and it completely paid off for Jaron Kanak, who was a Clemson commit and then went to OU instead uh, to follow Brent Venables, Brent, Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator at Clemson and then head coach at OU. And then Gavin Myers did the same thing, and it kind of backfired because a lot of teams backed off. A lot of it is because their linebacker rooms filled up. He just didn't commit soon enough, and other teams that wanted him ran out of space, and his offer, she kind of capped out uh, around last summer. And a lot of teams really kind of bumped the brakes on him, and they really didn't want to take him. Um, but K-State was the one that stuck around uh, for the longest and ended up taking him as a preferred walk-on, which... This preferred walk-on class for K-State is phenomenal. It's about as good as a walk-on class can get. Um, Alex Key out of Derby uh, is another one. I don't want to get too far off track, but he's a very highly thought of offensive lineman. Isaac Koch from, or Koch from Olathe North. Yeah, yeah, uh, he is as well. Um, there's, there's names that I'm forgetting right now, but there's several. I do know that we have a highly thought of kicker in this class. There's a few receivers, I believe, from the KC area. Um, there's, I know there's somebody else that I'm forgetting right now that is a very highly thought of walk-on. But 
I mean, the staff is continuing, if not improving, uh, the old K-State tradition of bringing in very high-quality walk-ons. Granted, the, the Meyer situation with his recruiting rankings, I think he was somebody that was a, probably a little bit overrated uh, to begin with. He's a very high three-star on rivals. He probably should be on the lower three-star, high two-star side, 5.5 absolute max. But he's definitely a power five player. It's If he's a power five athlete, is the question, and I really like the idea of giving him a preferred walk-on, letting Coach True work with him in the weight room for a while, try and improve some of his athletic traits, really get him focused, and try and get him on the track as maybe a Mike linebacker, possibly move him to an edge rusher spot. We can improve his explosiveness, but preferred walk-on ad is absolutely no risk for the staff, so getting a guy that had scholarship offers from several Power Fives to take a walk-on offer is phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he ends up being a scholarship player. Because yeah. there's always three or four walk-ons every single year from K-State that ended up making a scholarship. Yeah. Which I've never known if it's been retroactive. Um, I don't think it is. That's fair. Yeah. We've even seen with basketball where it only is effective for like one semester. Uh, Joe, Joe Petrakis last year, he got put on scholarship for just last spring and then he ended up transferring because his scholarship ran out. But uh, this year was Ben Sinnott and Austin Moore. They were just put on scholarship about a month ago, I believe. Yeah. So and last year it was Henny, Pennington, mm-hmm. and then Ross? I think it was Ross, yeah. But, Ross Boss. Uh, maybe Nick Allen as well. Nick Allen, yeah. So anyway, so that's actually a really big preferred walk-on offer and commit for your Kansas State Wildcats. And definitely one of the few positions we'll have to talk about in the preview. Mm-hmm. And whenever that happens in four months. I guess. Yeah. It's getting it's getting closer. It'll still be like four months, but yeah, crawling towards it. But next up is men's catsketball. And unfortunately. Listen, every single time we've declared the season dead, we've been wrong. I can say with the utmost confidence that at least the NCAA tournament bid is dead. Unless we win the Big 12, which is not happening. There's only one path from here on out, and that will involve beating at least two of the best teams in the conference. Uh, beating OU this weekend will be absolutely huge for seeding purposes. Um, and if we can beat OU and if Iowa State loses, then we get the sixth seed, which means that we don't have to play in the first round, which would be massive. And that can, that changes things, uh, getting that extra day of rest. And uh, then in that situation, we would end up playing Texas Tech most likely, which I honestly like that matchup comparatively to... The other option, which is Baylor. Uh, yeah. Baylor or KU is the other option. And I would much rather play Texas Tech. Just because I think we match up with them well. Yeah. I You can argue that they're a better team, but we're one of the few teams, I think, that really matches up with Texas Tech in a good way. Mm-hmm. And we handled them at home, nearly beat them on the road. We gave them the best fight on anybody on the road this year. So playing them at a neutral site, at a neutral site should at least be interesting. And... Hopefully they can keep it close and steal a win. But that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We need to look backwards here first. Yeah. The the first game we have to talk about is the game versus Iowa State in Bramlage Coliseum. 
which I've just started spelling correctly about two days ago. I thought it was spelled with an E, but... Unfortunately not. I might be stupid. You've insulted Fred. Bramlage. Shame. I'm sorry, Frederick. Or Freddy. Whatever your name is. But, who knows. Who's to say? We're getting in the weeds again. This was, unfortunately, a loss 74-73 to in favor of Iowa State. The game opened really fun. We jumped yeah. out to a 13-2 lead. Everyone was getting really into it. Then we sort of tapered off. We started just by keeping pace with them. And keeping pace was enough because we were ahead by 11. So every time they would score, we would score. We would get one back. Then they slowly started ramping up their own pace, and we just could not keep up with it. And I'm not talking about pace as in speed that they played with. I'm talking about frequency of scoring and on how many drop possessions, football mind, <laughs> possessions they ended up scoring on. And that's ultimately what cost us the game, despite a few really good performances from key players. Yeah, uh, this game, uh, like you said, we got out to a really good lead. Uh, it's 13-2, and I, I leaned over to, uh, I think it was either you or my girlfriend, and I was like, you know, 13-2, we're leading. This is the exact same score that Iowa State led by. It was me. It was you. I'm, I'm very sorry. <laughs> and, and I looked at you, and I think I said something to the effect of, well, let's hope the outcome isn't the same. And by halftime, we were losing. And that, it, it just was awful from that point forward. I mean, when we got, we got out to that big lead, we were hitting our shots. Iowa State was not. I think they came out uh, and, like, banked in a three or something like yeah. that. Like, they did something. Like, when a team hits a bank three on us, it's bad news. No matter what the men's or women's, it's, it's bad news. But uh, Caleb Grill had the opposite game of what he had the first time we played Iowa State. He had 18 points on 6 of 10 from 3. He only took 3-point shots this game, and that was about all that he did. Um, he added some rebounds. He had 6 of them. Uh, 1 assist, 2 turnovers, and a steal. But Caleb Grill, uh, he was making us pay from 3-point range, unfortunately. Brockington added 17, and then Tyrese Hunter had 13 points, 10 assists, and 7 rebounds. And uh, he and Marquise all had pretty similar games shooting, where they didn't really shoot that well, honestly, but they made a lot of free throws. But Iowa State, they just unfortunately shot really well, especially in the second half. They got to the free throw line a lot as well. 16-21 uh, in the second half compared to just 2-3 in the first half. Really made some nice adjustments there. They took fewer three-point shots as well, fewer field goals in general, just because they were getting fouled a lot more, or the Bailey's getting to the line a lot more, I should say. But... K-State, um, once again, a phenomenal performance from Nigel Pack was wasted. The Cats are now 0-3 when Nigel Pack scores 30 or more uh, with those games being against, those other games being against uh, Baylor and KU at home, respectively. So Nigel is showing up for the big games. Nigel, when we have a big opponent or we have a must-win game, Nigel's there, but the rest of the team, it's pretty hit and miss. Normally it's miss. Yeah, normally it's been. But even with this one, we had three people that were in double digits, which normally, it's good news for us. But... That, that was about where the 
help stopped. I mean, there was only six bench points from the team. Uh, Marquise Noel, he added 16. Granted, a lot of those points came very late because he was getting to the line a lot late in the game. He had 16 points, 1 of 7 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3. Then 14 of 16 at the free throw line because he was just driving and throwing it up at the end of the game. And he got to the line a lot, and that's what kept us in that game. Uh, he had six rebounds, four fouls, four assists, three turnovers, and three steals as well. Pack also had two steals uh, to go with two rebounds and assists, six turnovers with his 32 points. But Marquise Noel, uh, definitely not the most efficient game at all. He did help keep us in the game down the stretch. Uh, he did unfortunately injure his hamstring uh, on a late game play where he was jump, like falling out of bounds and calling a timeout. Um, he was able to get the timeout in, but he tweaked his hamstring a little bit, unfortunately. Uh, but Noel, he uh, definitely kept us in it, but uh, three turnovers versus four assists, uh, not the greatest ratio. He played a four fouls for a while as well. Uh, Mark Smith, he added 12. Uh, one rebound short of a double-double. He fouled out very late in this game, and he had a turnover. He was 3-7 from the field, 1-4 from three, 5 of 8 at the free throw line and again you know pretty solid game but really hate to see him foul out late would have loved to have him on the floor down the stretch but you know you lose him i think with about two minutes to go three minutes to go yeah two or three minutes i think rounding out the starters you got mike mcgirl six points on two of eight from the field one of six from three one of two at the free throw line he's really struggled shooting free throws recently yeah and he had three rebounds four fouls Four assists to zero turnovers and two steals. So at least he was efficient there. Didn't turn over the ball a single time. And he had some nice assists. Then Davion Bradford also started. He had one point on one and two at the free throw line and two fouls. And that is it. Yeah, it's Davion, all right. And then the remaining players, Ishmael played 27 minutes in this one, although he only had two points on one of six from the field, uh, two rebounds, one foul, one turnover, one block. And two steals for Ish. He had some head-scratching moments, I felt, where he would drive and kind of get under the bucket. And sometimes wasn't taking the greatest shots on earth. Mm -hmm. But generally wasn't the worst. Uh, He was probably a little better than Davion, uh, at least offensively. Because he was a threat to score. Davion didn't get a shot up (laughs) in 11 minutes, other than the one where he was fouled. Then he split the free throws. Selton, he played 19 minutes, had two points. Uh, one of three from the field. Air ball to three as well, pretty late in this one. It was a bad air ball, too. It was a really rough air ball. He was wide open and just missed it. Uh, he was on the uh, right wing and missed it, air balled it to the left. And it was ugly, ugly, ugly. Uh, he added three rebounds, two fouls, two turnovers, and a steal. Although he did play some great defense, that is his calling card. And I think we probably told him to cut down on the shot attempts because that's what teams wanted. At least for this game. And then Lucas Subki, he added four minutes and had a turnover. So that that does it for the the stats. They shot 33 free throws as a team. Nearly half of those were Marquise Noel. (laughs) They only had 25 (laughs) 25 makes, over half of which were Marquise Noel. Noel. Uh, So 25 to 33 on the game. 32% from three. Uh, we had eight three-point makes as a team. Six of them were Nigel, Mark, and Mike. Had uh, They split the remaining two. And um, 
Uh, we didn't shoot awfully this game, but we didn't shoot well when we needed to. I think yeah. is the biggest thing. Like we started off really hot, but I don't know. We we left a lot on the floor, and also at the end, I felt like we were really gifted. A lot of the uh, we had so many chances. Yeah, yeah. I would say, I hate to say it, but I would say they really did have some tough luck with the officiating. I, I will grant them this. They did. Uh, especially on one of the uh, five-second calls where it was verifiably like four seconds. Yeah, it was verifiably not five yeah, seconds. Yeah, you go back and look at the replay. It was it was four seconds. Two of those seconds, the guy was not even holding the ball. <laughs> so it's it, it, a little bit of a quick trigger from the official there. Granted, there were some awful calls. The officials just could not figure out what a blocker charge was this whole game. No. There was a pretty bad call uh, that went our way and there was also a really bad call when Iowa State's way with Mark Smith especially with the president having been set up earlier on the uh, previous call that went Iowa State's way I don't remember the exact moments the exact times but there were some there were some very sketchy moments with block and charges granted that's kind of consistent with what we've seen from the Big 12 <laughs> yeah. officiating yeah the KU game which had surprisingly few awful calls had the one where the uh where Jalen Coleman lands was all the way in the restricted arc and and moving and got called and he got the charge call to go his way yep it's like oh my god but I, yeah I, th I honestly I think it's Big 12 officials I think they really want to call charges I think that's what it is because the yeah. charge sign is cool it's really fun and it's such a huge impact on the game like and it's it's rewarding defense and i think that officials just really want to call to make that call they want to be able to you know send it the other way for an offensive player being too aggressive yeah and that i think is hurting the game especially just because it doesn't really seem like anybody has a consistent definition on what isn't isn't a charge, and this isn't baseball. from game to game. Yeah, this isn't baseball. We're not talking about strike zones here. We're talking about <laughs> charges and blocks. So, like, that's it's a pretty cut and dry definition of what it is and isn't. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. This this game was painful, and we thought that you know, we kind of you and I privately said yeah our tournament chances are done after this game and lo and behold it got worse with the next <laughs> game in texas tech in lubbock this was a loss 68 to 73 so i didn't know apparently texas tech fans don't like us yeah they started a particular chant we didn't do that with them we personally i still i can't i i don't dislike texas tech like i i don't i think they're cool I like the tortillas. Yeah, that's funny. Maybe it's a twenty-three personnel that pod. Maybe it's skewing my view a little bit. But anyway, next game was Texas Tech. Yeah, it was another close game, and we mentioned earlier that Marquise Noel actually tweaked his hamstring, so he was unavailable for this game. And honestly, looking at the score, Marquise may have been the difference if he were playing. Yeah, and. But we don't want to be all negative. There's one person in particular when you look at the stat line that, you know what, he had a good day. And it's not someone that we're used to to being having a great day, much less the leading scorer. In fact, you could say that about the top two yeah. people. But, of course, Connor has you for those. Yeah, Mike McGurl led the team in scoring this game. Uh, he had the hot hand. Uh, King McClure on the broadcast was... 
just absolutely loving this like floater that Mike McCurl had where he was like, I've never seen him do that before. And I'm like, that's a really routine floater through the lane. I can almost guarantee that you've seen him do that before, <laughs> King McClure. I just don't think you remember. <laughs> but Mike McGurl had 18 points. Uh, he played all 40 minutes in this game. Uh, 7 of 15, 3 of 8 from 3, 1 of 3 at the free throw line. Again, continuing his struggles from the free throw line, which is so strange considering that he's a really good outside shooter. Um, but 5 rebounds, 4 fouls, one of which we'll come back to. Now, 2 assists, 2 turnovers. Oh, no. And a steal, yeah. Ace was looking at the referees and who was refereeing, and he's witnessed John Higgins, are his mortal enemy. First new almost got me booted from a game. Yep. <laughs> uh, going down the list, Salta Miguel. He started, played 37 minutes in this one. He had 14 points on 4 of 9 from the field. Actually made a 3-point basket. His first 3 of 2022. He, he has not made a three in Big 12 play, and he he finally got one down, which, good for him. Like, I I cringed internally and externally when he shot it, and I was like, why are you doing this, Sultan? And then I went in, and I was like, you know what? Oh, good job, more, Sultan. More power to you. Actually, I take that back, but good good for you. Good though. for you, Sultan. Yeah, he... Yeah, he, 14 points, 4 to 9 from the field, 1 to 3 from 3, 5 to 6 at the free throw line as well. He had 2 rebounds, 2 fouls, 1 assist, 3 turnovers, and a steal. This is the most Selton stat line of all time, except he scored more. Yep. Uh, got to the foul line a lot. Another one of those was a little suspect. There was some very, I was going to say suspect, I'm just going to say bad officiating down the stretch. Mm-hmm. But Nigel Pack, he had 13 points in this game, 38 minutes. Again, all the starters played 35 minutes or more in this one. Uh, Pack, 5 of 14 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3. Three rebounds, two fouls, three assists, two turnovers, and a steal. Mark Smith rounded out the double-digit scores with 11 points, 2 of 5 from the field, made his one three-point attempt, 6 of 6, a perfect 6 of 6 at the free-throw line, at six rebounds, two fouls, an assist, two turnovers, and a steal. Then Ish Masood actually started this game in place of Davion Bradford. Um, he played 35 minutes, had eight points, made two three-pointers, was two of four from three. And two of three at the free-throw line, a rare miss at the free-throw line for Ish. He's only missed, I think, three free-throw attempts this year. Yeah. Like, like three or four, very small amount. And he had three rebounds, three fouls, two turnovers, a block and four steals for Ish. He, had a, he, had a, he clogged the passing lanes really well in this game. It was... Uh, um, negating the skip pass for Texas Tech really well. Marquise lended him some of his ability. I think that's what it was. <laughs> but From New York to New York. That's got to be it. Uh, that's the only conceivable explanation, just the, the New York connection between them. Sure. But then uh, Luke Kasubke, he came off the bench for seven minutes, uh, made one basket and missed a three-point attempt, had an offensive rebound, two fouls, good for two points. Davion Bradford played five minutes, made two free throws, and then had a rebound and three fouls. I don't know how he picked up three fouls in five minutes doing Davion things, I guess. Uh, and he, you got yeah, you to gotta s- give him credit. He gets his free throws. Yeah, yeah, up to, yeah he was just up to, to some Davion activities, getting those fouls really quickly. But um, K-State, um, this game was a very painful loss, especially because this was not one that we were expected to even be close in. Expected us to get schwacked. I was fully expecting us to roll over and get absolutely destroyed in this game because the closest game that Texas Tech had had at home this year 
was an eight-point victory. Uh, I think it was against KU. And then we come in and only lose by five. I'm not counting that as a moral victory. I'm just impressed that, like, we, that we hung around. Yeah, no moral victories, but, like, how? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I was shocked that we were able to hang around as well as we did. Um, we led for a non-insignificant part of the first half as well. Mike was really hot to begin the game. He had, I think, 11 points like in 10 minutes to start the game. And we just generally played pretty well this game, all things considered. Um, we played a really good second half. We played a complete game. We were kind of falling apart at the end of the first half, and the second half we came back and looked pretty solid for the most part. Um, although we were really lacking with field goals in the second half. Uh, only nine made field goals. Five of them were threes. But we did go 14-17 at the free throw line uh, in the second half. Free throws have been keeping us in our most recent games. I mean, Selton 5-6, Mark 6-6 six six at the free throw line. That is keeping you alive. Davion going 2-2 two two. again. Another big <laughs> one. Yeah, but... Texas Tech, they just played with a much deeper bench in this game as well. It's another important thing to note. Uh, they played 10 players, including uh, former Last Chance U star, KJ Allen. And I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, he was in the Last Chance U basketball. Uh, and Where? Plus, Mark! <laughs> <laughs> but in case they only played seven guys in this game, Casey didn't see the floor, and Marquise was unfortunately injured. So you have a seven-man rotation, and you're only getting 12 minutes out of your bench guys. I, I mean, that's rough. Like they, I mean, Mike playing all 40, uh, and then 38 from Nigel and uh, Mark Selton and Ish rounding out the starting lineup. But, I mean, there were some pretty suspect calls down the stretch. I'm not going to say we lost because of officiating, but... It's didn't just, help. It definitely didn't help, and it hurt more than it usually does. Um, I'm sure that a lot of K-State fans are already familiar with it. I will start off by saying that there was a pretty not great call against uh, Bryson Williams of Texas Tech uh, against Selton Miguel when he was driving to the bucket on a fast break. Uh, it was called a, a blocking foul by Williams as he jumped pretty straight up. I think the only argument you can make is he kind of jumped into him, but he was completely straight up, didn't really lean into him or anything, didn't really affect him too much, and uh, got called for the foul. Selton ended up only making one of the two free throws, so ultimately it was inconsequential in that regard. But it still was not a great call, and this was when the game was a one-possession game back and forth constantly. But the two calls I do want to kind of briefly talk about is just um, the especially the Mike McGurl foul that he got late on the uh, defense of the entry pass to Bryson Williams. I thought that was arguably worse than the missed call on Nigel that happened uh, just a few seconds later. But Mike <laughs> I thought they were having a good 15 seconds. No. <laughs> Mike, uh, to just try and describe this play, uh, a player on the wing for Texas Tech was throwing the ball into Bryson Williams, uh, Big 12 player of the year candidate. He won't win it, but he's a candidate. And <laughs> the point is he's really good, and we don't have anyone that can defend him on their own. Uh, they throw the ball into him. Uh, we have Ish on him, uh, man up, and Mike comes over to help. He sees the pass come. And as Bryson Williams is backing up to try and catch the ball, Mike 
puts his arm out and uh, punches the ball out. From the only angle that we get, it does not look like Mike even comes close to hitting Bryson Williams in any way before he touches the ball. He makes contact with his body well after he has knocked the ball away. But at that point, that's fair game because, at least as I understand it, because Mike, he uh, made a play on the ball. He has that right to it. And Mike gets called for an inexplicable foul. And then the broadcast just does not show us what happened. (laughs) This this happened a few times. The broadcast did not feel like reliving the previous errors that had just been seen. And Tech makes two free throws. Nigel comes down the floor, takes a three with about 15 seconds left, 20 seconds left. And um, replay, it looks like a foul. It looks like he gets his arm hit and uh, nothing gets called. And from there, Texas Tech just makes free throws, extends their lead, and KC ends up losing, unfortunately. But it was uh, it was really tough sledding. And this was not a game I was prepared to be hurt by. Yeah, because we thought we'd get smoked. I definitely thought we'd get smoked in this game. I didn't think we had a chance. And... Then we had hope, and it was snuffed out. This team just really hurts my heart sometimes because I love them. That's K-State. I really do. K-State does just hurt my heart, honestly. (laughs) You you have an excuse. You were born into it. I don't. I chose this. (laughs) Yeah, like people were just like, why don't you just – people ask me, why don't you just like choose a new team? And I don't have like a logical explanation (laughs) other other than like – other than, like, I would be a bandwagoner, and I don't like bandwagoners. That's basically my thing. Plus, you go here. Plus, I go here. <laughs> Plus, ratio. Plus, ratio. <laughs> Plus, didn't ask. Plus, didn't ask. Yeah. I... Oh, also, forgot we forgot to mention uh, the microcosm of the season with the uh, Iowa State game. God. We're going to rewind time a little bit and go back to the Iowa State game, where after Iowa State hits two free throws to go up 74-70, to 70, Nigel Pack runs down the floor, hits a half-court three-point shot as the buzzer sounds. So and he can, it. And he makes it. He makes it. And we lose by one. And You and I just start laughing. Yeah. It was depressing. It was soul-crushing. But we both saw the irony of <laughs> us making the last-second desperation heave and converting it just to come up short anyways. That's basically a microcosm for this season. Yeah. And that we do so much, and we actually do make the comeback, and it ultimately doesn't matter. Yep. We, we blow it anyways. Yeah. And we end up losing regardless. That's and, K-State, baby. Yeah, that's the difference between teams that deserve to be in the tournament and not. And it's basically luck, honestly. Like, yeah. So. But oh, and then also, I thought it was really weird that Texas Tech was chanting the chant that they were. Yeah, like, what did we do to y'all? Yeah, like, I'm not mad about it. I mean, I'm, I guess we beat them. Yeah, but there's not really an active rivalry between Tech I between Tech and K-State. I thought it was odd. I'm not mad about it. I'm more just curious as to why, yeah. unless they just do that to everybody, in which case, that's okay. That's fair. Like, I don't really care too much about student section chants. Yeah. Uh, no students do what they want. Yeah. Like, obviously, there's, like, a line, but there's not really many times i think that's even come close to being crossed by most teams uh-huh. like so i just thought it was odd if nothing else yeah because i've always kind of considered i consider there to be like pods of of big 12 schools i've always associated k-state oklahoma state and texas tech as one pod that yeah just can't hate each other <laughs> they're a pretty good natural fit especially k-state and oklahoma state 
um, tech, they fit better um, as, as well. And they especially fit well because their AD, former K-State football player and grad Kirby Hocutt. So there, there's the K-State connection there. So we have, so we control tech through the deep state, basically, <laughs> is what we're saying. We're going to hire away their head coach. Joey McGuire is coming here. Or you, you're talking about basketball. Yeah. Uh, well, we, I'll take Mark Adams, a.k.a. the librarian. But, you know, I don't care if he looks like a librarian. He wins games. That's all I care about. <laughs> just win, baby. I just win. That fixes all problems. But this is a really valiant effort by K-State in this game against Tech. They gave Tech a better fight than anybody had against them. Although Tech does end up getting the win. They hold on, uh, and they end up going a very impressive, I think, 18-0 and at home this yeah, year. I think they were undefeated at home. Yeah, that is phenomenal, and they deserve credit for pulling off a, a stunt like that. I mean, that's a hard place to win right now. Chris Beard leaving Tech has somehow emboldened them even more, and you, know, you have to respect them for it. So, yeah. so good on you, Tech. Um, they're going to be, and they're it's going to be awful to face them in the tournament. Whoever comes up with them, because they're going to be a three seed, but they're going to they're going to be better than a three seed, I think. Like in terms of talent, yeah. Because I mean, I think Tech is in terms of true talent and how they've been playing as a unit. I think they're probably a high two seed. They're going to be a middle three seed. They're going to be very underrated, and some teams are going to run into a buzzsaw that they were not expecting. <laughs> and so. I don't know. Case they they played admirably, um, shorthanded, and I don't know. This is yet another microcosm of the season where you know they play really well against an opponent that no one expected them to play well against in a really difficult environment, and they do it all uh, when they aren't full strength. And this is another game where you look at it. If Casey has a quality big. They probably win. Yeah, they would probably get out of town and sweep Tech this season. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a season of what ifs for K State, but we don't you know, live in what ifs. We live in nows. Yep. Which that leads us to the next sport we're going to be covering in women's basketball. And if you think that it gets better from here, I got bad news for you. <laughs> It does not. <laughs> it gets worse. Yeah. First game was up against Oklahoma in Norman. We ended up losing this game 69 to 72, which while nice is not. And I want to keep in I want everyone to keep in mind Oklahoma was the school that Yoki dropped 61 against. And you're stupid if you think that they didn't have that as bullets and board material. Yeah. And it shows. It uh it shows. Not because Yoki didn't do anything, but because she was a far cry from scoring 66. But this was another game where we we got so close to winning, and it looked like we had finally overcome our offensive ineptitude on the road. It finally looked like we were crossing over that hump. Right. And then Oklahoma just you know decides to push ahead with a long three in the last like 10 seconds of the game. And then we don't come up with a good enough response. They ended up winning it. And it was just overall another painful way to lose. And no moral victories. Oklahoma was ranked 20 or 19th in some rankings. But yeah. 
no moral victories. That being said, there are two performances that I, I really want to highlight before Connor goes into stats, and that's that's Serena Sundell and Laura Mackey. Serena Sundell earns her like 87th Big 12 Freshman of the Week award, which honestly, if she doesn't earn Big 12 Freshman of the Year, I would be shocked. I mean, she's at the point where she's in the National Freshman of the Year category, I think. I don't know if she'll win it, but she's in the conversation. Yeah, same with Ioka Lee being National Player of the Year. Yeah. I still think she has a chance of winning it. In fact, I still think that I would take her over the field yeah. if I were a betting man, but I'm not. But the <laughs> the other person I want to highlight is off the bench, Laura Mackey, getting 28 minutes, scoring 17 with two steals. Sorry to steal your thunder there with mentioning the stats, no. but those are two performances that they both outscored Yoki, but it, I feel like we've fallen into this trap, and everyone has, of this team just being Yoki. It's not. She's arguably the piece that makes it go the most, but she's not the only piece on the team. You have Serena Sundell, who's been an excellent ball distributor. You've had the Glenn Twins, who have been pretty good do-it-all pieces. Then you've had Laura Mackey, who's been a pretty decent shooter, except for these last couple of games, which she's kind of turned it around a little bit. But And even people like Simone, for as much, as much grief as we give Simone, she's still a pretty, pretty solid contributor to the team throughout this entire year. That's neither here nor there. I'm stalling. We lost this game. Connor has stats. Yeah, uh, Serena Sundell played an excellent game. Uh, maybe her best game of the season, even. Uh, against a really quality opponent, she had 24 points on 9-16 from the field, 5-9 from 3, 1-2 the free throw line. Added three rebounds, just one foul in a full 40 minutes, and she had seven assists and no turnovers in this game with two steals. Just a phenomenal stat line from the freshman Serena Sundell, who I just learned yesterday, uh, did not even play point guard in high school. She was an off-ball guard, and this is the first time she's ever playing point guard. <laughs> she did what? <laughs> yeah, she was a shooting guard last year, and she all of a sudden is taking on D1 responsibility for ball handling, and she's been phenomenal she, as a freshman. Okay, I'll call my shot. She's going to be better than Yoki next year. All right. <laughs> Yeah, it, she can develop. I'll call it. Yeah, she has a very high ceiling. Uh, she needs to develop from a strength perspective, I would say. Um, needs to get a little bit more consistent on her outside shooting, and maybe get a little bit more laterally quick. But a lot of that's honestly going to come naturally from learning to go from off ball guard to point guard and running the offense. And you know, as a true freshman, her first experience doing that, she's already doing an excellent job. So it's hard to be upset with that. This is a team I'm really, it, it, it saddens me that we have to look at them from a developmental perspective because there was a point in time in this season where we were looking at a Big 12 championship run, and that's well in the past by now. This team has really just hit a wall recently. The youth has finally caught up to them. Yeah. But moving on, as I cover other starters, Aoka Lee, uh, she had 13 points, 6 of 13 from the field, made her lone free throw attempt, had 11 rebounds, 4 fouls, 3 turnovers, and then a whopping 6 blocks with 4 <laughs> steals as well. So she led the team in blocks and steals as well as rebounds in this game. Uh, just like, another great performance, but again, only 13 field goal attempts, only 6 makes, and only 1 free throw attempt as well. Uh, teams are really finally figuring out how to defend Aoka Lee. 
disposable and, body strategy. Yeah, literally just play as many people as possible and just basically bump her around and it works because especially when you're not in the bonus because you you just even though she is a good free throw shooter, you still want to just try and throw her shot off and team and officials are not calling fouls on her or against her very much this year. They are basically letting them play in the post and the result of that is Yoko Lee getting pushed around a lot because she just isn't matching up. I mean, when she's getting double teamed and they're both pretty much just pushing her as she's shooting and they're not going to call anything, there's not a whole lot that she can do, but she's just going to have to get used to it because that's how teams are going to play her since she's that good and there's not a legitimate way to stop her. Yeah, and so, outside shooting has been yeah sus. Yeah, and until the shooting gets better, it's going to be open season on Aoka Lee. Teams are just going to double-team her and dare you to shoot from the outside. Although this was a game where KSA finally got out of its three-point woes, and they shot 41% from three, which was better than they shot from the rest of the field. But they only had six free-throw attempts in this game and made four of them. So you'd love to see more trips to the line in the future. But, you know, can't complain too much. Yeah. But... Other starters, the Glenn Twins, uh, neither of them had particularly phenomenal games. Briley had eight points, three of nine from the field, two of three shooting. Fouled out in this one, had three rebounds and two steals. Jalen had three points, one of five from the field and from three. Uh, Four rebounds, one foul, three assists, no turnovers, two steals. Then Emily Everett only played 13 minutes in this one despite starting, but she had two points on one of seven from the field, 0-2 from three. Two rebounds, three fouls, no assists, three turnovers, and a block. Not the best day for Emily Everett, but we, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. Unfortunately, if you're Emily, because it, most of her game, if the shots aren't falling, some of it starts to fall apart. But Laura Mackey is the surprise of this game because she's not known as you know, uh, an excellent shooter from range. She is really good up close. Um, but she doesn't get a lot of opportunities because your opportunities up close are probably going to Aoka Lee. Yeah. But Mackie has the benefit of not being auto-double-teamed. And <laughs> Yo. uh, so she comes away with 17 points in this game. Uh, she plays 28 minutes off the bench, 7 of 14 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3, 2 of 3 at the free throw line, 2 rebounds, 2 fouls, 4 assists, 3 turnovers, and 2 steals. Really stuffed the stat sheet to Laura Mackie. And had her best game on the season, maybe the best game of her career at K-State as well. Then you get into a few other bench pieces, and it's pretty tough sledding for them. Uh, Simone Goodrich played 15 minutes, had two points, one of four from the field, had three rebounds, three assists, three turnovers, the most Simone stat line of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Not really making her shots, uh, getting some rebounds, having some nice assists, but also having some boneheaded plays. That's just what you're going to get with Simone. She's basically Marquise Noel with lesser volume, and yeah, uh, that's what some it is. Moments. She'll have some some moments. Um, yeah, I live with it. But Rebecca Dollinger got her first minutes in a while, uh, missed a three point attempt, and had a foul in four minutes, and that's it. And Taylor Lauterbach played one minute and missed a field goal, <laughs> but. Most, now, most of the scoring came from three people, with it being Serena Sundell, Laura Mackey, and Aoka Lee. Uh, and this was just a painful loss as well. Cats uh, trailed by three, 69-66. And then Laura Mackey hit a huge three with about 25 seconds left mm-hmm. to tie the game at 69. 
And then as the buzzer sounded, OU hit a three on the wing to win 72 to 69. And then I ordered my first drink at Tanner's. Yep. Yeah, we <laughs> and were, I ordered a second. <laughs> Ace and I were at Tanner's when that happened. And it, uh, it was just an absolute soul crusher, especially after the Iowa State game. Because we, we were had, not having a fun night. Yeah, we've been at the Iowa State game earlier and you know witnessed that painful defeat and then we got to see this on a small tv i think we're the only people in there even like moderately paying attention yeah and it I was, was the only one throwing up threes yeah and but it was just a really tough loss to to watch this because this is a team that needed a road win so bad yeah and they just weren't able to get it i was not able to watch a majority of this game because it was on bali sports yeah wait oh yeah like as if more things need to be on bali sports yeah like, I think thanks OU. i think they cover baseball more than they do anything else yeah and they did have a lot of soccer but sporting kc restructured their team or their tv deal because bali sports is terrible cool <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is just a heartbreaking loss for the women's basketball team and you know it's a game you, re- you really want to get a sweep in big 12 play but they just they can't quite pull it off. They'll they'll have one more opportunity with TCU coming up, and TCU really not being a particularly great team. Knock on wood. Yeah, well, neither was West Virginia. No, they were not. But this team, they spoilers. No, they they still have a shot to get a season sweep, bolster their resume at least a little bit, just prove that they can win somewhere that isn't Bramwich Coliseum. And I don't know this this team has a lot of potential, but. Uh, for now, that's all it's going to be is potential because they just are not able to get over the hump and they've been unable to figure it out offensively when the shots aren't falling. And even they've, they've, they've shown that even if the shots are falling, it might not matter anyways. Yeah. Then the next game happened. This was the final home game, senior night in Bramlage Coliseum up against the West Virginia Mountaineers. K-State ended up falling 74-62. to Among the events of this game was me getting bullied for wearing a Chiefs jersey, which apparently that's a faux pas. <laughs> apparently. Who would have known? I, I, could have happened to anybody. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but other than that, this was a game that K-State had well in hand for every single quarter except the first one and the second overtime. In the second overtime, we very simply died. That is the only way to describe it. We suddenly just lost any ability that we had. After an alright shooting day, we could not shoot to save our lives. Yep. I will say that the lone male referee in the student section formed a special bond where we weren't screaming at him for being a moron. In fact, we made heart hands at him. He pointed at us and winked at us. So maybe we won him over. So Bill, if you're out there. Ace is making heart hands right now, Bill, if you're listening and not watching. So Love you, Bill. But in all seriousness, this, this was another painful game where we had... Every opportunity to win. Every single opportunity to run away with this game. And we just didn't. Yeah. Um, 
I was not able to watch a lot of this game. I had prior obligations. I was able to catch m most of the first quarter on my phone. And then I was able to uh, catch the very end of the fourth quarter and then the overtime, the first overtime, and then I listened to the second overtime and I was driving to go get canes. <laughs> so I got to see basically every bad part of this game or listen to every bad part of this game, and I missed all of the good parts. Yep. So maybe that means I just shouldn't watch anymore. Which, <laughs> which, granted, I was present when Aoka Lee dropped, dropped 61, 61, although there's some that would argue that it broke the team. But um, a lot of people who would argue that. Yeah. Uh, West Virginia upends K-State by double digits at home on senior night, which is, after four quarters, probably the last result that you would have expected. But after one quarter, you would have definitely expected it because West Virginia shot out to a huge lead, 19-7 after one, and K-State fights back and has a dominant third quarter. In the fourth quarter, people forgot how to make shots. Everyone. Okay. Yeah. That's just everyone. K-State, from what I could tell, had plenty of chances to win this game in regulation and in the first overtime. And the second overtime, I th I truly think they just ran out of gas. I think that's got to be what happened. That's the only way I can explain it in a way that doesn't make me want to rip my hair out. And even <laughs> then, it still really upsets me because... This team is basically like a better version of the men's team where they're really one more piece away, maybe two, from being much better than 18 and 11 and 8 and 9 in Big 12 play. This is by now a 20-win team with yeah. the double-digit Big 12 wins by this point if they have Rachel Ranke and Heavenly Greer, I think. And with next year, Eliza Moppet. Yeah. Dude, we, I don't want to make this about next year but because we keep saying it. Rachel Ranke, Eliza Maupin, Heavenly Greer, whenever she gets back from the NCAA shadow realm. Yeah. yeah she's just <laughs> stuck in the void right now. We may never see her again, but if we do, I think she'll be really good. She's stuck in purgatory somewhere. Yeah. Who knows why NCAA? They won't tell us, though. No one knows. But you have K-State stats. Yeah. the This game... K-State, you know, shooting-wise... Yeah, I figured we went 0 of 5 and 0 of 6. For, oh, my God. <laughs> it's it's a rough night shooting the ball. There's 19 made field goals and four made threes uh, for 31% from the field, 16% from three. Uh, Serena Sundell and Jalen Glenn, they go a combined four of 20 from three. But Aoka Lee does have a pretty solid game. She has 24 points. In 41 minutes, 9 of 16 from the field, 6 of 9 at the free throw line, 10 rebounds for the double-double. She had four fouls. She sat on four fouls for quite a while, as yeah. I recall. And she had no assist, the three turnovers, a block, and a steal. So it's a quality game from Aoka Lee. Uh, then Serena Sundell had a very, very up-and-down game. A horrible shooting night for Serena. 49 minutes. So... Fatigue's definitely setting in for Serena Sundell, the freshman there. 15 points, 3 of 16 in the field, 2 of 10 from 3, 7 of 10 at the free throw line, 6 rebounds, 4 fouls, and 7 assists to 9 turnovers. Just completely unacceptable. I get that Serena Sundell's a freshman, but you have to take better care of the ball yeah, three than of those, 9 turnovers. I think 3 of those were in the overtimes. She was she was gassed. Like, yeah. I... I Obviously, I don't know because I am not her, nor am I a coach, nor did I talk to her. But 
you could tell that she, just from where I was sitting, she was gassed. Yeah, I I would be gassed too after playing 49 out of 50 minutes of a regulation basketball competition. And being the main ball distributor. Yeah. So it's it's understandable, but it's really frustrating. But you know, all things considered all things considered, seven assists, still nice. But Jalen Glenn, three of thirteen from the field, two of ten from three, not much better than Serena. Uh just one fewer minute and and had two rebounds, two fouls, two assists, two turnovers, and a steal. Good for eight points. Uh and Emily Ebert, uh at seven points, all of them at the free throw line, seven of ten. In 27 minutes, didn't make a single field goal on two tries, had seven rebounds, then two fouls, two assists, two turnovers. Then rounding out the starters, Briley Glenn only played 35 minutes in this one. She had a scary moment where I thought she snapped her ankle in really? the middle. Yeah. She had to be helped off the, the court. She ended up returning later in the game, but there was a genuine scary moment where everyone in the arena thought she just absolutely snapped her ankle. Yeah, I, I was unable to watch in that moment, so I was unaware. I was completely unaware that that happened. Yeah. But, so thank you for sharing this. I think I was either, oh, was it Briley? I think it was Briley. It had to have been Briley because Jalen played 48 to 50 minutes, right? Yeah, so what? it was Briley. That was scary. <laughs> yeah. But, she came back, but still. Yeah. Briley didn't, still didn't have the best game, although that kind of explains why. But she No, had, this happened late. She would, she did a lot of that before she went out. <laughs> okay, never mind. That doesn't explain it. I, I retract my statement. Yeah. But she had, she had four points, two of eight from the field, of three from three, missed both her free throws, two rebounds, four fouls, an assist, and a steal. Then rounding out the players who saw the floor, senior night for Simone Goodrich and Laura Mackey. Simone had four points, two of three from the field, one rebound, a foul, no assist, two turnovers. Laura Mackey, 0 of 3 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 5 rebounds, 2 fouls, no assists, 2 turnovers, a block, 2 steals. Rebecca Dollinger had a foul and a turnover in 8 minutes of play. And Taylor Lauterbach had a block. And Taylor Lauterbach. Taylor Lauterbach. But she's not scored in a while. So I'd, I'd, you'd, you'd love to see that going forward. But uh, second, second quarter and third quarter were the golden moments for this team. They went... Uh, 63% and 66% from three in the second quarter. Third quarter, only 45%, but they made 11 of 11 free throws in that quarter. So did really well there. But then 3 of 17 shooting in the fourth quarter, 0 of 3 in overtime, and 1 of 5. In the second overtime, really, really, really rough down the stretch. Didn't make a single three-pointer from the second half onward. That's a... It's a combined 0 of 13 in the final two quarters of regulation and two overtimes. This is a very winnable game that K-State completely blew. Uh, this is not a good West Virginia team, or they're, they're not an awful team, but they're not the best. They're 14 and 13, 7 and 10 in the Big 12 Conference. Absolutely winnable game, I would say. Yeah. But this team ran out of gas where it seemingly didn't matter as much for a more experienced West Virginia team where Madison Smith had 22 points and played all 50. And uh, Esmeri Martinez had 22 points in 42 minutes. So, granted, they played with a bench that contributed a little bit more, not a lot more, but a little bit more, and had uh, maybe some uh, more productive minutes. But this is this K-State team is just not very deep 
right now at all. They truly have their five starters, and then you're going to get one bench player a game. That's going to be quality. It's going to be either Simone or Laura. Yeah. Because uh, Dollinger has not been performing at her highest level recently, and Lauterbach has been the same. But, again, this is a young team. They're learning. I'm not ready to give up on them yet. Yeah. But it's been a very frustrating stretch for the K-State women who, after their their high peaks, are below 500 in Big 12 play in 18-11 on uh, the season. Yeah. One thing I will say before we move on to baseball is West Virginia had a single-person foul out. I just remembered this. It was uh, Kari Nyblock. Uh, she was a spoiled sport and refused to sit down after the <laughs> student section was trolling her. So every single time that she moved, even a little bit, even like 20 minutes after she fouled out, we would count her steps. She refused to sit down. She just did not do it. That sounds really tiring. Also, how'd she foul out in 20 minutes? Jeez. (laughs) She, yeah. That kind of, she was in foul trouble early and then it just got worse. Yeah. But, yeah. Not a great week for the women's basketball team. It's not going to get much better. It, it it doesn't. We're going to be talking about the K-State baseball team. They had a series against California State. I said it right this time. Cal State University, Bakersfield. We ended up losing two out of three of this series. Before we talk about the series as a whole, let's go over the individual games, and we'll try and we'll try and keep it short and sweet. We'll only cap off just you know the big the big moments. Not going to go through everybody, but in terms of K State in the first game, this was a loss four to three, and this was just this was a game where we again we were tied going in. We ended up having two extra innings. We ended up leaving in a couple of players in too long, noticeably Tyson Neighbors, who ended up I think walking the bases loaded. Uh, yes, he did, as I recall, and, um, I mean, you look through here, uh, you have a walk, then two ground outs, so, you have, then you have another walk, a hit by pitch, and then a walk to put a runner home, so, you get to two outs in the bottom of the ninth, and cannot put the win away, and then, basically, on your own, send it to extra innings, because, I mean, Cal State, Bakersfield, they basically stay in this game without having to hit the ball. Yep. And it was entirely self-inflicted. Uh, I mean, yeah, you have a 3-0 walk there, uh, then two ground outs uh, on a sack bunt, and then another ground out, and then 3-0 walk, hit by pitch on 2-2, then full count walk uh, to send the run home. Then Tyler Rule has to come in, and he forces a pop-up on a full count. But this game was very frustrating. I don't know the exact statistics because I don't think that they track runners left on uh, in the box score. But actually, no, they do. They, so they we, do. We can check it. It was five. Yeah, we had five runners left on. Yeah, it was five, which is not as many as I thought. Bakersfield did have ten. But I think there was a game here where we did leave a lot of runners on. And, and I think we did at one point have uh, some pretty significant uh, moments late in the game where we left runners on, but this was a game where we oddly, I think, felt in control for a lot of it, uh, especially just leading for most of the way, uh, or at the very least having it be close. But yeah, taking that lead in the top of the ninth to go up three to two, 
just end up blowing it. I mean, this is another... T- I'm not going to sit here and say that this team is close, because honestly, I don't think they are. No. But this is a team I think that they're going to be totally different by the end of the season. But for now, it's really going to be rough to watch as they try and figure it out. Uh, Dylan Phillips kind of started to figure it out this game. He had an RBI, 2 of 5 at the plate, but he still had two strikeouts. Still next, to, yeah. next game is when he really figured it out. Yeah. But other than that... There's no real notable offensive statistics. Blake Adams had one heck of a day Phenomenal as a starter. Game. Phenomenal game from the starting pitching uh, from Blake Adams. Yeah, seven and two-thirds, four hits, two runs, both earned. Two walks, 12 strikeouts with a total of 29 batters faced yeah. on 105 pitches. That is excellent performance amazing. from Blake Adams. You cannot ask for better from your starting pitcher. I mean, a quality start from Blake Adams a normal day, you're hoping five to six, couple, maybe three or four runs, especially with good run support. Yeah. But 12 strikeouts to just two walks and only two earned through seven and two thirds. And keeping seven and two thirds to 105, it's really impressive. And then the uh, the backups, uh, the relievers come in, I yeah. should say. Na- neighbors really had a rough outing, which. He's a far cry from that first time that we saw him against Arizona where he came in and had three phenomenal strikeouts. He's a kill, he has, this is a, and we'll, we'll go into, whenever we're recapping the entire series, we'll talk about what, get, what exactly went wrong, which is why I don't want to spend more than like five minutes on stats. But that said, Tyson Neighbors has a killer slider, but he has next to no control of it. He ended up walking five people. Tyler Rule ended up coming in in relief. Gave up a single run, unearned. Nick Goodwin should not be a shortstop. I will say that right now. Nick Goodwin should not be playing shortstop. He should be playing third or second base. He's not a natural shortstop. He does not have the fluidity nor the arm nor the arm accuracy for it. Because that shortstop is a much harder throw than at third base. Source, I played both. But <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it's just, this was a really tough game. And one that ended up going into extras in which we just completely self-inflicted errors ended up losing. So we ended up losing this game 3-2. to two. Then the next game, it doesn't get better. We ended up losing 2-1 to one with our lone run coming in the fourth inning. And Connor McCullough gets pinned with the loss this game. Absolutely does not deserve it. Mm-mm. Absolutely. You, there's an old adage uh, that I will always reference that three runs in a quality start, that's not the pitcher's fault. Four, you're in the middle ground. Five, yes, you can start blaming the pitcher. Connor McCullough went out there, six innings, five hits, two earned runs, one walk, seven strikeouts, one wild pitch, okay, with a total of 25 batters faced on 94 pitches. That is a quality start. For, for those who don't know, quality start is six innings fewer than three runs, or fewer or equal to three runs. It's called a quality start because that is when you start expecting your offense to be able to carry you because that is the pitcher essentially doing all that they can at that point other than throwing a shutout or a perfect game, which I don't expect at the college level. No. No. <laughs> But And then, then Griffin Hassel also was really good in relief as well. Uh, he didn't have a lot of strikeouts or walks, but, I mean, he was just forcing outs, uh, flyouts, groundouts, uh, only one hit in two innings, no, 22 pitches to go through seven batters, which is excellent. 
So uh, just, two, just the two strikeouts to one walk in two innings for Griffin Hassel. So the pitching staff was excellent uh, in the second game, holding uh, Bakersfield to two runs, but the bats were just awful yeah. this game. And then we had it. So the bats go, we can go down the order here. Dominic, jo- Dominic Hughes ended up not getting a hit. Dominic Johnson didn't get a hit. Josh Nikoloff didn't get a hit. Dylan Phillips had a single hit. It was a pretty decent hit. I'll give him that. Justin Mitchell had one hit and was the lone drove-in run. Cash Rugely, one for four and had an error. Again, Cash Rugely's really having trouble figuring yeah. it out at first base. He had two errors, actually. So Yeah, he's having problems figuring it out at first base. Nick Goodwin went three for four, so it was a good day for Nick Goodwin. Cole Johnson, 0 for four. Kellen Culpepper, 0 for yeah, he uh, Cole Pepper did get hit by two pitches. He's been phenomenal at getting hit by pitches. If that's a skill, <laughs> yeah, that that is actually a genuine skill. And he's honestly he's been one of the most consistent parts of our team because he plays really consistently good defense. He's an all right hitter, good at getting on base, and he's just been pretty much the lone consistent piece of our team. Which is hilarious that the nine hole hitter is oddly one of the most reliable guys and he doesn't even really hit no like he doesn't hit yeah i don't think he's really registered a hit since uh the first game against arizona but he just he gets on base yeah, to quote money ball <laughs> get on base he just gets on base i've really liked dom johnson as well this is probably his lone really poor game all season he's had some uh, head scratching moments but he's been a pretty reliable hitter for the most part but this was a, a down game for him uh, at least putting the ball in play, only one strikeout. That's my biggest gripe with this team normally, is they strike out a lot. That, that And then Cole Johnson had two strikeouts, uh, left three on base as well. So, I mean, this was a completely winnable game yet again, but two defensive errors, uh, just unable to figure it out. I say defensive errors as if there's a, another, another story. really funny, but... <laughs> but... Yeah, and then the last game of the series against Cal State Bakersfield, we actually ended up winning. We saved all of our offense for this game. Ended up winning 8-2, 12 hits, one error for us. I don't remember, but I have a feeling that the one error was Nick Goodwin. Am I correct? Uh, no, it was Kalen Culpepper. Yeah. Rare, rare L for the moment Culpepper. I say. I think that there have been a few moments where there have been some moment, some 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 errors that maybe have not been properly attributed yeah uh like cole johnson probably should have had one in one of the games in the yeah there was uh, the michigan game how the michigan game he gave up i think two runs on that mm-hmm. uh but uh, just another uh, the for the first time really this year good showing although it was it got off to a, a horrid, horrid start. start literally horrid the horrid start uh i'll go through this christian rubeck um He's had a really strange beginning to his K-State career. He's the th- day three starter right now. He uh, was supposed to start against uh, Auburn back mm-hmm. in the State Farm Classic and then didn't, and instead somebody else pitched for the first about one and a third. I don't remember who it was, but then Rubeck came in pitched about three innings and just absolutely blew it open and was awful. This game, he... Had I don't know if it could have been worse, unfortunately for him. Uh, he 
ended up pitching zero innings despite starting. Yep. He gave up two runs, both earned four walks with a wild pitch and four batters faced, and 21 pitches was able to completely derail the game. Um, we'll go through the box. Oh, 3-0 walk, advance to second on wild pitch. 3-0 walk, advance to second, and advance to third on a pass ball. Full count walk. Then 3-1 walk uh, with a, a walk a run home. And then we took him out. <laughs> but he still gets credited with the other run with a reach on a fielder's choice that was uh, out of home. And then a f- sack fly to center field. Because keep in mind there were no outs registered yep. before Rebecca came out. Yep. And then they get the other run to score from third and then a foul out to catcher. But horrid start. But we're going to consider this guy the true starter, Blake Corsentino, because he was excellent. Yep. Seven and two-thirds, five hits, one walk to two strikeouts, only one hit by pitch, 28 batters face, 84 pitches thrown for seven and two-thirds. So he gets the win, obviously. And yeah. it was just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, not really a strikeout guy, but uh, eight flyout, 11 ground outs. <laughs> excellent, excellent stuff. He effectively was the starter, and at one point, it was looking like it was going to be a complete game shutout from Blake Corsentino, and he didn't, even, and he didn't even start. So, but, he had enough pitches to work with where he probably could have gone for the yeah, complete game. I'd imagine just since he's a reliever, he just had nothing left in the tank after 84. Which is fair, but I really wanted to see him just for the meme of it. Yeah. Just like, go all the way. But Landry Jureka came in, uh, pitched one in the third, had a strikeout, one hit by pitch, faced five batters and 15 pitches, forced to fly out and ground out. Quality outing for Jureka to close it. But, and we can move into um, the offense. Yeah, the offense. We had doubles from Dom Johnson and Justin Mitchell, a triple from Cole Johnson, and then the second home run. And this season for Dylan Phillips. First and second. First on. and second. I meant to say the first two. Because yeah, Dylan Phillips was, at the opening of the season, I think he was kind of feeling the yips because he was expected to be the guy on offense, which if Nick Goodwin had a better season, like end of his season last year, or actually probably everything except for the last three games, he was consistently okay. But he... Dylan Phillips probably wouldn't have the insane expectations that was put on him. But now he has those hits. He has those home runs. He has the first two at the way. So hopefully that helps him get his confidence a little bit in. Yeah. But uh, he had a really, really, really nice day uh, uh, with the two runs. But, you know, it was really good. Dom Johnson also was really good. He was scratching something up the monitor. I was going to mention him anyways. (laughs) But with the two hits uh, in – Five at bats and a run. He nearly hit one out over the left field wall. I think it bounced off the wall. Yeah. Justin Mitchell uh, continues his quietly good season with two for four with an RBI. He also got hit by a pitch and he had a double as well. Uh, and then also it stands to mention that Blake Adams, the starting pitcher from two D- from two days prior, actually started as a DH this game. Shohei Otani. Yeah, and he went two of four. He did have two strikeouts, and also he very, very unfortunately had a very easy single, got halfway to second, and then probably would have made it, honestly, and then decided to try and turn on a heel and go back to first and was out by a mile. Yeah. And then um, that, so that was... I mean, he's learning the, the ropes, I guess, as a batter. Not used to doing that. Cole Johnson was one for three with the RBI, uh, a walk as well. Cole Pepper, unfortunately, 
did not reach. He didn't strike out either, so at least he's making contact, so he'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm not worried about the true freshman, especially as long as he's not committing too many fielding errors. And even then, the error that was credited to him, I believe I know what when that happened, and I'm not too upset about it because it was a play that – it was a pretty – difficult play to make where he prevented it from going to the outfield and it would have resulted in more runs coming around but instead he was able to halt that and so it was it was one of those errors that scored it just because it touched his glove exactly that's exactly what happened but uh cats finally getting the win column for this one yeah our our first victory then we follow it up by losing to cal state fulton which Granted, this was a better game. Then, after this game, we'll talk about the, the few issues that we've noticed so far with the entire team. Yeah. But we ended up losing, like I said, to Cal State for Fullerton. Just, this is getting ridiculous. This is, I, I hate to be the kind of person that says, figure it out. Baseball is the... I think the second only sport that I can think of, one of two sports that I can think of, where the phrase figure it out is genuinely constructive criticism that is valid. <laughs> yeah. What's the other one? Probably soccer. Or track. Maybe one of those two. Yeah. Because I feel like baseball is the most, though. Baseball and softball. That'll be my final two answers. Yeah. Because there's not really much coaching that you can do right. to Division one athletes. It's yeah. mostly luck anyway. But, yeah, this was a game that, again, K-State lost. This was the inverse of the couple of games that we've had before in that our starting pitching is actually kind of what failed us in that Wesley Moore was the starter on the day. Ended up giving up three earned runs, four walks, three strikeouts. We'll get into the walks and strikeouts later. Then Herman Ferrardo ended up entering... He had a pretty decent day. Only had one run. It was unearned with five strikeouts. Then Griffin Hassel gave up two runs, three hits, two strikeouts. Then Tyler Rule came in in relief, gave up a single run unearned. Who would have thought we gave up an unearned run with a strikeout with three total batters faced? So the pitching staff didn't have the worst day in history. They just didn't have that good a day which you can see by giving up seven runs yeah especially the relievers they weren't awful truly but it was a starting pitching that really was uh, struggling which granted it's midweek starting pitcher you're getting pretty deep in your rotation at that point yeah but yeah then you get to batting and you know they put up five runs but you know you you orlando salinas he gets caught stealing uh there is a uh, two doubles in this game as well. Dom Johnson and Nick Goodwin each had one. Uh, Dom Johnson uh, goes one for four. He does get walked, and he only strikes out once. Brady Day goes one of three, starting at third base, giving uh, Kalen Culpepper a break, finally. <laughs> then he does score a run. And then Justin Mitchell goes two of three in this game as well with a run. So, good for him. And then uh, Dylan Phillips, one for three with a walk. And a strikeout in this one. Nikolov, one of four with an RBI. Goodwin had three RBIs in this one, one of four, and scored a run. So good for him, at least batting. And uh, then Cole Johnson, really rough game batting again. He has been 
really struggling to start this season, Cool Johnson, both offensively and defensively. Orlando Salinas, two of three with an RBI. And then you just kind of go down the list here. Uh, it's a lot of uh, pinch hitting uh, guys that really do a lot. Rafael Pelletier gave Justin Mitchell a break from squatting all day and went one of three uh, behind the plate. Mitchell was just DHing. Yeah. And then we had another defensive error. It was Nick Goodwin because, like I said, I, I, I like Nick Goodwin as a player and he seems like a decent enough dude, but. He's not a natural shortstop. It is he had two errors on the day, so make that I think four on the season. Yeah, he's not a natural shortstop. He was a pretty decent defensive third baseman last year, as I remember, and I think they rotated him a little bit. At I think he second. played. I think he played second mainly because it was Cam Thompson normally a third. I think they would switch off. Okay, but like he was a he was a decent defender on both of those positions. Unfortunately. He got put in the most difficult defensive position in the infield at shortstop. And I'm not sure if he just hasn't had the time to adjust or if he's just not cut out for the position. But right now, he just does not look like a natural fluid shortstop. No. No, it's it's been rough. And he's been pretty up and down at the plate. You can't say he's been outright bad. He's had his good games like this one. He had three RBI. But... It's uh, It's been really rough uh, fielding the ball for Nick. He's a far cry from his hot start last season. Because he, he looked like he was going to be freshman of the year yeah. at the beginning of last season. Yeah, he especially nationally, he looked like it. Uh, he ended up, I think he ended up being baseball freshman of the year maybe. But he uh, definitely, down the stretch, struggled, especially in the middle of the season. But he kind of figured it out by Big 12 tournament. Mm-hmm. But... This team is not the batting team of last year. Uh, the pitching woes are going to catch up to them a lot more just because they're not driving out of the park as much. We don't have power hitters one through five, unfortunately, anymore. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, they haven't shown it yet. Uh, Dom Johnson's gotten really close a few times. Mitchell has uh, gone yard. Dylan Phillips finally seemed to uh, find his power hitting in the final game against uh, Bakersfield. But... Yeah, going out, losing two of three to Bakersfield, losing a lone game against Fullerton, it's getting really rough right now. The Cats are one and six at the moment, and they are desperate for uh, just a series win at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's a long season, but it's uh, it's really rough right now, and they they have a long way to go. Yeah, and I we're not giving up on this team. It is way too early to give up on this team. It is not too early to point out issues they have, but it's it's too early to give up on them. And before we go into the issues that we think are plaguing the team, they have a series this weekend against Loyola Marymount, which is their final series in California, before they ended up having their home opener against Nebraska, who's projected to win the Big Ten. That's not going to be an easy game this no, coming Tuesday. Not at all. That's not a gimme, especially when the team that is projected to finish second schwacked us. In Texas. Yeah. In Michigan. So, the number one issue that I've noticed with this team is that outside Corsentino, we do not have a single strike thrower. We exclusively have power pitchers, which basically means power pitching is you're exclusively going for strikeouts. 
And I know there's been a recent movement in the majors of the, the three true outcome baseball. I'm a boomer, so I do not believe that that is legitimate. I do not believe that the three true outcomes of baseball are strikeout, walk, or home run. I don't believe that. And it's worse at the college level. At the college level, you're not going to be able to prevent some of the offense. You can't do it. You can try to mitigate it by having at least two or three people in your pitching staff that are not going to blow people away. They're going to be strike throwers. They're going to be zone fillers. And they're going to try and get ground outs, fly outs. Try anything in their power to avoid sharp contact and insane launch angles. That's their game. Which is why every single MOB staff, even the people that are embracing three true outcome baseball, are they have at least one or two sinker ballers in their roster. Because they want to get those ground outs. They want to have someone runner on first, oh, we can get a double play here. Oh, runner on first and second, we can limit the damage by making sure that there's no hard contact to a gap. The problem is that our pitching staff, specifically our bullpen, because outside of Corsentino, who I think will end up working his way into being a spot starter now, given that he's shown the acc- the acclination for it, we have no strike throwers that we've seen. We have a bunch of power pitchers who are going to try and fool people. Problem is their control isn't developed yet, so they're going to end up hitting people, giving up a lot of walks, and... Outside of that, it, it you just can't do that in the college game. Yeah, we're lucky that we have uh, Blake Adams and uh, Connor McCullough as well in the starting. And those rotation. are examples of sorry. These are those are examples of power pitchers who have had the chance to develop their control a bit more. Yep. Which our bullpen is yep. young. Tyson Neighbors is a true freshman this year. He has an absolutely insane slider. That It has some of the most insane snap I've ever seen to a slider. I thought it was a curveball at first. Because curveballs are more known for their, their sudden snap, especially drop curves, which 12-6, whatever you call it. That's what Kershaw made his career off of, was that insane 12-6 curveball that just fell out of the stratosphere. Tyson Neighbors has an insane slider. His fastball needs work. He needs to develop a tertiary pitch. He doesn't have one right now. He has fastball slider. He he's not. He's not Matt Grilly. He's he needs he, more. He's he's not Jason Grilly for in the majors. I don't even think they'll let you have two pitches and then it'll be the show. No, they don't. <laughs> Which is they, the extent of my knowledge. So. There there are like there's two pitchers that they have that I remember in my entire lifetime them letting have two pitchers. It's Jason Grilly, and that's because his slider was insane and he could still throw mid-90s. I don't even remember the other one. Point being, you need to have more than two pitches, and if you are going to have two pitches, you need to mix in the break with the control of it. Because in high school, you can get away with throwing, not aiming. In college, you can't. That's not what you just can't do that in college. Yeah. And we've seen what happens when the control is there for the slider. When he does that, he will strike out an All American and two players on one of the best teams in America, aka Arizona. Yeah. However, when the control is not there, which has been effectively every other time that we've seen him, it's going to be walk, 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 walk. Just constant walking, 
really not giving up a lot of hits because his stuff is borderline unhittable. Yeah, yeah, his stuff is great. He just can't control it. Yeah, which granted, true freshman, very, very, very young. But if he's going to be thrust into the spotlight like this and be pitching as much as he is, he needs to have more control. We can't just go out there and cross our fingers and say, "Well, I hope it's there today." Yeah, he needs a changeup. That's what he needs. Yep, because he. I'm not a coach. I was a pitcher for a few years. My repertoire was two-seam fastball, circle changeup, and then slurve, which was basically just a weird gripped slider. I lived off of those three pitches, not because I was a strikeout pitcher, but for the lone reason of if I can get them off balance, as a, if you can get them off balance as a pitcher, it doesn't matter if you strike them out or not because you can get them in a weak contact. And whenever you have exactly two pitches, both of which power pitches, which it, power pitchers are like four-seam fastball, curveballs, sliders, basically any pitch that if you leave it in the middle of the zone, it has a 50-50 shot of ending up on the moon. It, if you don't have any secondary pitches that are meant to induce soft contact, which is why I had a two-seamer instead of a four-seamer. It broke down. If you don't have a down-breaking pitch or something that changes, like a change-up or a sinker, or if you have a sinking action near fastball naturally, you're not going to survive because it's just... You have a 50-50 shot of walking, home run, or strikeout. If you're trying to embrace three-outcome baseball in college... I'm sorry, you're not going to do that. <laughs> you're, these aren't major league players. Yeah, if you're going to be doing that, you better be bringing in top 10 recruiting classes yearly, and we're not at that point yet. P. Hughes is upping recruiting. It's getting a lot better, but we're nowhere close to that. Luckily, Jackson Wentworth should be getting healthy here in the next few weeks, and as we know, he's very similar to Jordan Wicks, except that he's a right-hander. And and that he has a phenom he has phenomenal off speed stuff. Change up mm-hmm. slider is just absolutely disgusting on him. One of the best uh pitching prospects in the country. So hopefully he'll be able to slide in early as a long reliever and transition into that day three starter behind Adams and McCullough, which at that point I will be very comfortable with our uh starting rotation because right now Rubeck, I'd imagine he's probably going to be removed. From the starting lineup because in our two times that we've seen him he has been really bad thus far and and uh, Wentworth if he can have it under control which there's no reason to think that he won't with how highly regarded he is then I'm really looking forward to seeing him hopefully he's healthy by the time we play Nebraska because that's honestly I would just start him that I, game. yeah I would just start him actually I I put him in it um, setup man for neighbors, and then just hope. I'd either put him at setup or long relief, and just let Blake Adams do it because Blake Adams is, yeah, he's dealing. Yeah, which he'll be pitching uh, the day that this episode is released, uh, Friday against uh, Loyola Marymount. So hopefully uh, he'll we're able to keep it to a low pitch count. Maybe he'd be ready to go against Nebraska. Honestly, that's a game where you might want to just push for him to start anyways and then give him the weekend off just yeah. because it's such a huge game. Nebraska is a quality opponent, very high-quality opponent, that, and that could get out of hand really fast if you're not putting your best out there 
I mean, this isn't just some midweek game to write off. Like last year when we were playing Arkansas Pine Bluff and putting up 14 in the first inning. Yep. It is not one of those games. Which, while funny, it's not one of those games. It's not one of those games. Nebraska, they're good enough where they could do that on us. Yeah. So. At home. Yes. Then the other problem, it's a lot shorter of an explanation. We're not hitting in the clutch. Yeah. Which, figure it out. That's the only thing you can say. I think a lot of it, honestly, is our hitting strategy. We're inc- hit ins- bombs or die. Unbelievably aggressive batting team. We're a. I I love being aggressive. I I, I really like that philosophy. But we're aggressive to a fault. We're actively hurting our chances of winning by being aggressive for the sake of being aggressive. It feels like. Yeah. Because right now our bats haven't proven that you can just go out there and swing, swing, swing. Because. Instead, we're just inflating the other team's strikeout numbers right now is basically what's happening. It's getting a little bit better recently. Dylan Phillips not striking out anywhere near as much as he was early in the year. Yeah. But still, we are striking out at a completely unsustainable rate at the plate. Granted, when we get a hold of them, they're long gone. Dylan Phillips hit some bombs in the last day (laughs) uh, against uh, Bakersfield. But again, that's one win out of seven games. That's awful. That's horrible. I mean, like it's it's embarrassing, especially considering like how highly thought of this team was coming into this year. This team has they have Omaha aspirations, and the only time that they really matched up to that is the Arizona game, and that was the first game of the year, and they weren't able to recover for five games after that, and then they came back and played a really poor game against Fullerton. Granted, they were really they were really missing Terrence Sperlin right now. I think at first base, yeah, and also was contacted. He's one of the very few like primary contact hitters in the lineup, and he's really good at that. And he got hurt in the first game of the season, so hopefully he's able to come back. They're missing Wentworth for pitching depth right now, and they're also missing consistency from Wes Moore because right now this team, left-handed pitching, there's not a lot there. Pretty much every quality pitcher on this team is a right-hander, at least every known commodity pitcher. So, but it's going to be, at this point, it's looking like it's going to be a really rough year because after the first few games, I was like, you know what? Those are really good teams. Those are all probably NCAA tournament teams. and they still are. (laughs) Yeah, and they still are, especially especially Arizona and Michigan. But... We, uh, we're at the point where they really, like you said, they need to figure it out. I hate saying that because it's the least useful advice on <laughs> earth, but that's truly the best thing that I can say is to figure it out because this season is in danger of getting out of hand very fast, and this is a team that got snubbed from the NCAA tournament last year, and it's quickly reaching the point where we're not even going to be in the conversation, and we're not even going to be in the conversation of being snubbed. And there's still time to turn that around, yeah. I think. Because there's a lot of quality players on this team, and there's players in this team that were quality last year uh, that we know of. Uh, Dylan Phillips, he's finally starting to figure it out. Nick Goodwin, he's been, consi- he's been pretty consistent offensively, but defensively has a lot of work to do at the shortstop position. Cole Johnson has work to do. Uh, Orlando Salinas still needs to get comfortable in his first base role, which granted switching positions midseason, at the very beginning of the season. I am not I jealous. I'm not jealous of him. Yeah, I don't blame him. Justin Mitchell. Uh, I actually don't have any complaints about Justin Mitchell. He's been really good. Yeah. Don Johnson has <laughs> also been pretty good, save for a few defensive blunders. Uh, Nick Goloff needs to find it out batting. Uh, so does Rugely. Uh, 
relief pitching needs to figure it out. Culpepper's been all right. Culpepper has been all right. I completely forgot about him because he's not in this lineup. But Culpepper, love to see a little bit more hitting production out of him. But for a true freshman, I have very few complaints right now. If take any, it. I'll take it. I'll absolutely take what he's given us. Good on you, Kalen. But there is talent on this team, but it is not being translated into wins right now. And that is ultimately a deciding factor. Because five years down the line, if this very talented team does not translate that talent into wins, we're not going to be sitting here qualifying the statement of, well, they had an awful record with, well, they were so talented. They were so talented. Yeah, no. no one, no. Everyone will just remember the record. But I will still be holding out hope that this team can figure it out. Yeah, I do as well, just because we, we can't regress that bad. There's, just, there's no way it goes that bad. Knock on <laughs> but that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you want to follow us or contact us on social media, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at AC Edward 00. I am at Connor Baltazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to visit our official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store where we have such designs as Neon Alley Cats and Play Sandstorm Cowards. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Or come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.